This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Carlson, Carlson, världens bästa Carlson. Carlson, Carlson, hoj här kommer Carlson. Carlson, Carlson, ingen faktiskt, ingen annan Carlson skulle jag så bra som mig. Carlson, Carlson, Carlson scores! Carlson, Carlson, Welcome everybody to another episode of the Keeping Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast, the best fantasy hockey podcast in the world. Yes. Hosted by two guys who own Eric Carlson in their keeper pools. I'm your host, Elon Dubrovsky, and with me for this first episode of the 2014-15 regular season, Brian Com. Hey everybody. That's it, you're not more excited? I'm really excited. This is great. We've got so much to talk about. We've got headlines. We're going to talk about some games that happened. Which players are we disappointed in? Which players are we super impressed by? But first, we should mention that we are presented by DailyFaceOff.com, your source for line combinations, starting goalies, and a bit more. Yeah, we've had a lot of questions on Twitter all week about where to find the best line combos and starting goalies. Our answer without a doubt, every time, is dailyfaceoff.com. Of course, we still like your Twitter questions, but that one's answered for you. <laughs> I will mention, Left Wing Lock is good to see the line combos in terms of what previous games line combos were and what percentage of time players played with other people. But in terms of up-to-date, just who's playing with who as of the last practice or as of the last media note, then you go to Daily Faceoff. But let's get into the content for this week's show. We're going to start with our fantasy hockey headlines, specifically surprising performances so far into the season, which is basically like two games. And the first player who's going to be mentioned for the whole season of Keeping Carlson is Pascal Dupuis. This guy comes out of nowhere. I don't know, he was injured last year. He was a pretty solid fantasy pick for many years before, but after his injury last year, a lot of people didn't draft him or left him to the end of their drafts. And the ones who did take him were rewarded with a one goal and three assist effort against Anaheim on Thursday. Five shots on goal, plus three. I'm sure he was picked up hugely in many leagues after that for any leagues where he hadn't already been taken. Yesterday against Toronto, he kind of came back to earth, no points, but he did still have five shots on goal and was a plus one. Brian, what are your thoughts on Pascal Dupuis? We're not a news show. We're not here to report how many points he got. We want to tell you whether or not this guy is for real and he's a must-add, or is he someone you could leave on your watch list? Well, for now, he's still on my watch list. This year, he's playing with Malkin and Sutter, his last successful year. So last year, Elon, like you said, he was injured. The year before that, the majority of his points came while playing with Crosby and Kunitz. I'm not really sure what playing with Malkin and Sutter is going to change, except I suppose instead of having two really maybe Canadian national team caliber players, you have one in Malkin, and we have yet to see what's going to happen with Sutter. One of the reasons he's still on my watch list is because I'm stubborn at the beginning of the season, maybe to a fault. 
I hate being swayed by one game, even if it's really exciting. And there's another player, Elon, that falls under this category that we'll get to later in the show. But I just don't want to do it. I don't want to jump in. I don't want to waste a move because once game 82 rolls around, I feel like maybe it's only worth it like 5 or 10% of the time. And those 5 to 10% of the times are glorious. But I don't think Dupuis is going to be that sort of guy just yet. I'd like to wait and see a little longer. And hey, maybe that means I miss out on him. But at the same time, I'm not going to drop somebody else hastily for a player who had a four-point game. But what about the fact that he's playing with you know, this top caliber guy like Malkin, he also has had success in the past. I recall him being like a 60 point player. So isn't that someone that's worthy of one of these early moves? Yeah, he was a 60 point player back in 2011, 2012, when he was playing with Jordan Stahl. And yes, I guess maybe Malkin is probably a better line mate. But remember before that, he was less than a 40 point player for the entirety of his like 10 year career up until that point. So now that he's playing with superstars, things are going well. But I think you probably know this by now, I don't love relying on players who rely on other players on their line. And Dupuis for me right now, still fits into that category. Yeah, he can capitalize when he is put in a good position to score. And that's not something to just ignore. That definitely is a talent. Kunitz is a player who has definitely made a career out of that, arguably. But last year, he was averaging just a half a point per game in his injury-shortened year, and I'd like to see a little more. So yeah, I guess at the end of the day, obviously, it depends who you'd be dropping to pick up Dupuis. And I guess it sounds like you're saying maybe he could be relied on for 50 points at least. So if you have someone who you could drop for that, then maybe pick him up. It is also important to note that he's on the second power play, not on the first power play. He's not up there with Crosby and Malkin and Kunitz and Hornqvist when they get the extra man. So he is on the second power play with lesser players. But if he's playing with Malkin, he could get some points. It's hard to know for sure. But Brian is saying to wait for now. And who am I to disagree? And the next guy I want to talk about is I'm pretty sure who you were referring to when you were saying you don't like to get too excited after one good game. But another guy who had an amazing first game... Brock Nelson on the New York Islanders, he had two goals and two assists on Friday against Carolina, and then followed that up with a golden assist yesterday against Carolina. So he's got six points in two games. Who the heck is Brock Nelson? And should I be rushing to grab him from the free agent list? Well, Elon, if you were keeping an eye on the Keeping Carlson Twitter account, you would have had about a week-long heads up about this. Ever since the Islanders announced their lines, there have been three very intriguing names going into the beginning of the season. The first is Corey Conacher playing on the top line with John Tavares and Kyle Lacposo. The second is the aforementioned Brock Nelson. And the third was Nikolai Kuleman. And today, let's talk about the guy who panned out the most from those, Brock Nelson. He had a fantastic start to the season, but Elon, when you were recapping all his games, I think two words stood out for me in both descriptions of his point scoring against Carolina, who sure seem to be on their way straight to the bottom of the league early on, and that's not to discount anything Brock Nelson does. He's definitely playing on a solid line, and the Islanders are kind of rolling with three scoring lines this year, and I think he's going to have a fair chance to keep up this amount of production. If you look at what he did last year, he was at times a productive scorer and then went on a really long drought towards the end of the season. At the beginning of the season, he was fine. He doesn't have a long enough career history for us to really establish whether this is a pattern or not from season to season. But I think what seems indisputable is that he has improved 
as a hockey player, not just on these games, but based on what I've read about his conditioning and practicing over the summer, and that he is now a fantasy-relevant player. He's somebody I would add before adding Pascal Dupuis if I had to choose between the two. Well, yeah, that makes sense to me. And you know, Brian, I think I agree. You know me. I'm a sucker for a guy playing on that first power play. And Nelson has been playing on the power play with Tavares, Ocposo, Nielsen, and Boychuk, who we should probably also mention. And I think you might have some crow to eat on that guy. But three of his six points have come on the power play with those superstars, so that's pretty great. And people, I think that's probably the best you're going to get from Brian in terms of an endorsement for someone who's only had a couple of good games. He's saying he would take him over Dupuis. But again, I guess you're also saying don't get too excited. He's not going to be playing against Carolina for the rest of the season. Yeah, that is a big part of it. But the Islanders, I think, are a team on the rise. I think they're going for it. I heard an interesting point by Bob McKenzie on the radio that maybe they are going a little all-in because they have traded away their first-round draft pick in the upcoming year. So I think they're committed to winning because if they lose... I think that's quite embarrassing for the organization to finish towards the bottom of the league and not have their pick. But that's not exactly what we like to talk about on the show. We generally talk more about the player themselves and maybe their underlying numbers. And Brock Nelson's are good. And to be honest, most of the Islanders roster's underlying numbers were just fine against the Hurricanes. It's a good thing to keep an eye on whether or not it continues, but he is seeing, well, a fair amount of zone starts and his possession numbers have been strong. It's only two games. We can't draw any conclusions. But yes, I am an early fan of Brock Nelson. And Elon, maybe it's because I also kind of called it before the season began. Yeah, but if you say that, then you also have to say that you called Conacher and Kuhlman, so I don't know how much you want to lay claim to that. Okay, well, Conacher, I still stand by. Anybody playing as a third piece on a line with Tavares and Akposo is all right, is a depth guy. Kuhlman, well, we'll see about that. He's getting a ton of zone starts, or at least he did in one game alongside Franz Nielsen. And Elon, I thought the guy you were really going to ding me on is Johnny Boychuk. Yeah, let's get to him since we're talking about the Islanders. And Brian, you said last week that Johnny Boychuk is fantasy irrelevant for this season. And I actually decided to pick him up anyways, just because, you know, I like to not listen to you sometimes. And I've been rewarded with a goal and four assists in two games, four of those five points on the power play. Do you still feel that Johnny Boychuk is fantasy irrelevant? And has this just been luck? Or is he someone who you would like to have on your team? Yeah, okay, it's only fair that we acknowledge somebody who's had success that I did not think would, but I still don't think they would. Elon, I'm just not convinced by one or two games. Yeah, it's great that he's on the power play, but is he really generating this himself? Or is he picking up assists off much more skilled players in a position that he might not last in for a whole lot longer? I don't think we know what the Islanders' plans are on the power play. I think they're trying to figure it out. He has one of the heavier shots on the Islanders, and I think that's the reason he's back there. So that's an asset he's got to offer. I would still expect maybe Nick Letty to pick up a little more power play time. And if and when Visnovsky comes back, he's going to step in and Boychuk will have to step aside. I'm not ready to hand over a roster spot to somebody who has a career-high 23 points. Yes, he's with a new team in a new role this year. I'd like to see if that new role is going to last beyond the first 10 games of the season first. Fair enough, and I guess we do still have to get back to the fact that both of those games were against Carolina... I'm really interested to see what happens next week with the Islanders games. But let's continue on this train of players who have had, I'd say, surprising starts to the season. And I wonder if people are trying to guess now who I'm going to say. Well, you don't need to wait any longer. It's Darcy Kemper. Two games, two shutouts. That is not a bad way to lay claim to that number one goalie spot in the place, Minnesota, where we thought it was going to be a real battle between him, 
maybe Brizgalov, obviously Backstrom, Harding when he comes back. But if Kemper keeps getting shutouts, I'm pretty sure he's going to have the job. Ryan, what do you think about Darcy Kemper? Well, Kemper becomes just the second goalie since Roberto Luongo in 2005 to open the season with two consecutive shutouts. That's thanks to Michael Russo of the Minnesota Star Tribune for that stat. And one of them, let's be honest, it was kind of a bloodbath in the, in the opening game of the season. The Wild just destroyed the Avalanche in every aspect of play. And if you take a look at hockeystats.ca and look at the game's Corsi chart, that'll tell you the story. But if you look at the Corsi chart for the second game between the two games that was played in Colorado, it was a lot more even. In fact, Colorado was taking it to Minnesota a little more. Kemper definitely was working harder than he did the previous game, stopping 30 shots to make the shutout. And I'm really happy he's delivering. We talked about him a lot towards the end of last season as somebody maybe coming up and being able to own that number one spot on the wild. And we talked about him in the last few weeks also as being somebody who you probably don't have to pay a lot for in your draft that could give you a disproportionate amount of points relative to his draft position over the course of the season. And here we are, two games in, two shutouts. It's not going to continue this way every game. He is going to have his rough spots. And he's still, I don't know, I think the Wild are still going to give a chance to Backstrom, maybe Harding once he starts feeling better after kicking that wall in anger. Wait, sorry, he kicks a wall in anger? Is that why he got injured? Yeah, right? Because he has you know, other health problems that are enough to keep him out of games. And he's had a lot of hard luck over the course of his career. But this one is all his fault. He kicked a wall. He was angry. What was he angry about? That much, I don't know. I might have read and I don't want to get too into it because I don't actually remember it. But like (laughs) that he was angry at something one of his teammates said he got into an argument with a teammate went to the dressing room and kicked the wall. Okay, well, I guess that's a bit out of scope for our podcast. But I might be googling that afterwards. I don't think I got the whole story. I just thought he was suspended. Anyways, Back to Kemper. It's good news for Kemper owners. And if you're looking for a number two or a number three goalie on your team and you're really thin at the G position, you should already have Darcy Kemper added to your roster. Well, yeah, if he's still available, good luck getting a guy who just got two shutouts in a row. But maybe he's someone you could also offer a trade for. But again, he's right now super high. Actually, if someone has Kemper, is now the chance to sell high on him? Yeah, it is a chance. I mean, Minnesota is a good team. They're playing in a really tough conference. They're going to lose their fair share of games. And Kemper, I don't know if he's going to hold the job or be a number one or say a 1A or a 1B. If you can trade him for a goalie on a better team who struggled out of the gate, and I'm not talking about Steve Mason or Ray Emery, Mm -hmm. or a guy who's an established number one, and obviously it all depends on your league categories, if playing time is important or numbers are important or both together, but maybe it is a good time to start looking for a trade if there's a guy you wanted after your draft and you were trying to wrest him from the hands of another owner and didn't have the right piece to offer. Maybe Kemper is the piece right now. His fantasy value is probably not peaked just yet, but it's very high. And it would be wise to see if you can take advantage of it. Well, Brian, one goalie that maybe you could try to get for Kemper when you're talking about goalies who haven't had a good start to the season is Kemper's opponent over the last couple of games, Semyon Varlamov. What would you say if someone offered you Varlamov for Kemper right now? That is a really interesting question. And I think at this point, I would not know what to do. I would try and like hold on to the trade request for a while. Colorado has been miserable. No goals in two games. Let's not give it all up to Kemper. They have to figure things out. And I know a lot of people were really excited about the Avalanche. They have so many exciting young players. And I wouldn't be surprised if several pulleys have like two or three avalanche players on their team and seeing nothing. And what does this have to do with Varlamov? Well, the forwards. 
have to figure out how to score. That's a big part of it. And I'd say the coach, Patrick Waugh, seems to need to figure out how to adjust so that they get most of the scoring chances in each game all the time, as opposed to getting shelled like they did throughout last year. It's too early to say if regression is coming back to bite them already. We really like to see a larger sample size before we come to any sort of even half conclusion about that. But they do need to figure things out. Going back to Varlamov, a 901 save percentage is not anything to write home about through two games, 4.32 goals again, 64 saves. He is the guy in Colorado. They're not going to give up on him. I still expect him to have a fairly decent season, and I wouldn't get down on Varlamov at this point in the year, beyond what I already said to expect on our previous preseason episodes. And since we're on Colorado, should people who have Colorado forwards be worried Or is it just, you know, two shutouts, but they'll figure it out. They did have 30 shots last game, so I'd imagine eventually they'll get some bounces and they'll start scoring some goals. Well, they're going to need to generate a little bit more. Like I said, the first game, Corsi Chart, was really ugly. The second game, it looked a lot more even, although that might have been due in a fair part to score effects. After the Wild scored their second goal, you really see that the Avalanche caught up in putting scoring chances on net. And that's not a coincidence. Once a team grabs a two-goal lead, sometimes they tend to sit back a little bit and lets the other team take the offense to them. And so you can't read too much into the success of the avalanche attack if they were able to start putting shots on net when behind two goals, I would still like to see if they can figure it out. And at this point, I'm not convinced they can, but they definitely have the talent to. If you own avalanche players, you're just going to have to be patient and hope that they find a solution to what ails them so far in these two games and for most of last year too. Okay, and maybe some buy-low candidates in there if you have people in your pool who are panicking like crazy. Yeah, the guys who are really showing up, at least on the score sheet in terms of shots on goal so far, Ryan O'Reilly leads the team with eight, and then you've got Tyson Barry with six, and then you've got Nick Holden, Matt Duchesne, and Nathan McKinnon with four, and then a lot of people with three, two, and one. So those names that I just read are at the top, although maybe hold off on Nick Holden for now. But if you have those guys, at least rest assured they're trying. They're trying, Elon. They're trying to help you win your pool. And that's more than can be said for the following people I want to talk about who aren't doing anything for your pool because they are injured. And it's such a bummer. The season started. We already were talking about last week how there were all these injuries just from the preseason. Now we've got three more big ones to report. And let's start with the one that hurts me the most because I have him in both of my pools. Evander Kane played like a minute and then went down with a knee injury. Now it's looking like he'll be out at least two weeks, maybe more. Oh man, okay, so there's nothing you could do if you're an Evander Kane owner except for try to pick someone else up, and we'll try to give you some tips later on the show of some people that maybe should be at the top of your watch list. But as far as the Winnipeg Jets go, does anyone benefit or get hurt from Kane's injury? Well, yeah, this really hurts because, well, we had been excited about what he might do this season, pumping him up, even last year when he was struggling, and then he goes down this way. It looks like it's just two weeks for now, and then maybe longer. We'll see. Uh, But Dustin Bufflin is the immediate benefactor. He is up on the first line playing with Mark Scheifele and Blake Wheeler. And can I just take this opportunity to say how much fantasy gold is buried on the Jets? Or at least I feel that way. I feel like a lot of those guys end up in free agency or in really low draft picks towards the end of most pools drafts. But the names I just read, like Mark Scheifele, 
is one of them who I think is still available in free agency in a lot of pools. And he's playing up with Blake Wheeler and Evander Kane slash Justin Bufflin. He is definitely worth a look as a depth player or maybe even a little bit more on your roster, especially in deep keeper leagues. And on the second line, you've got Andrew Ladd and Brian Little, who I think are some of the more underappreciated fantasy performers across most leagues. Even if you go down to the third line, Matthew Perrault is going to be an interesting name to watch. He couldn't fit in in Washington. He made a bit of a splash in Anaheim. And the question this year is whether or not he can take it to the next level and sustain it in Winnipeg. So sorry, Elon, if I just got a little bit off track, I just kind of get excited by the Winnipeg Jets in fantasy hockey. Well, yeah, and for good reason, especially after their first game, Kane got injured a minute in, they still ended up destroying the Arizona Coyotes 6-2. to It kind of seemed like... Kane Schmain, they don't need him. All these other guys are still going to be doing amazing. But then things got a little more real yesterday when they got shut out by the San Jose Sharks and Alex Stalock, who, by the way, is someone I've been saying for a while that maybe you want to pick up. But anyways, okay, I'm whispering now just because Brian's getting annoyed at me because he thinks that that's not exactly the best advice. But yes, I would have to think that the Jets are hurt by the loss of Evander Kane. So all of these people that Brian said are probably very good to pick up and the Jets are exciting. But at the same time, they'll be even more exciting once Kane comes back. Yeah, I agree. And remember, they have a new coach this year, or they changed coaches last year. And this is Paul Maurice's first full season with the team. And they didn't change a lot of the personnel on the roster over the last couple of years. So they're going to have to change something about the way they play to make the playoffs and watch for the moves that they make and the way their lineup shifts and their tactics change. And hopefully the guys we've been talking about will all benefit together. Moving on to the next sad injury to report, Brandon Dubinsky, who if you're in a league that counts all of those peripheral categories like hits and penalty minutes and whatever. He was a highly drafted guy, I assume, and it really sucks for you and your pool, and also, of course, for the Columbus Blue Jackets, that he's going to be injured now for the next month at least. Columbus had already lost Nathan Horton and Boone Jenner during the preseason. Brian, this has to hurt the value of the remaining Columbus Blue Jackets players. I'm curious, especially about Ryan Johansson, who signed, which was good news, but now kind of has no one to play with. Well, Ryan Johansson doesn't really need a whole lot of people to play with. I think he's able to carry it on his own. The guys that I think you're probably worried more about are the depth guys on Columbus who are losing whoever they had to play with before. And even the top two lines all of a sudden look thin in the top six. Kim Atkinson is suddenly on the top line playing right wing with Nick Foligno as left wing. And really, that isn't exactly a money line situation for Johansson. Although, like I said, I don't think he needs too much help. The person that intrigues me here is the perennially underrated Scott Hartnell, who's usually good for 50 points plus peripherals. He's playing on the second line now with Artem Anisimov and Alexander Venberg, who we don't know a whole lot about yet. If I'm interested in anybody to see what happens to them in this situation, because he's, I figure, going to be asked to take on a bit more of a scoring load, it is Scott Hartnell. Everybody else I would expect to see the same or drop a little bit. Yeah, at this point, there's not too many Columbus Blue Jackets that I'd want to own aside from Ryan Johansson. I think these injuries also hurt their defensemen, like Jack Johnson and James Wisniewski, who I think their offense will go down a little bit. Obviously, you'd still want to have Bobrovsky if you can get him. He still managed to pull out the win yesterday against the Rangers. But yeah, sad news for Columbus, and we'll see what happens with Hartnell. I'm interested now to see as well how he will do. The last injury I want to talk about is another bummer. The New York Rangers went out, signed Dan Boyle from the Sharks. The plan, I assume, was for him to be on their top power play, maybe quarterbacking it. 
Now he's going to be gone for around four to six weeks. Who on the Rangers now takes over from him in this top power play quarterback role? Well, it means more minutes for Ryan McDonough, first thing. Second thing is, I don't really know. Ryan McDonough was the only defenseman to log more than one minute of power play time. He was on the ice for three minutes and 21 seconds uh, with the man advantage against Columbus the other night. The next highest defensemen were Dan Girardi and Matt Hunwick. Matt Hunwick had six points in 43 games last year. I wouldn't get too excited about that. And then John Moore had 29 seconds. So really, uh, I don't think the second power play unit or the defensemen on the second power play unit are going to get a whole lot of opportunity. If they are, their names are Dan Girardi and Matt Hunwick, neither a proven power play producer, and I think your only course of action with the New York Rangers is to sit tight and grab Dan Boyle if somebody dropped him so you have him and you're ready to go as he recovers from his injury. Well, those are the headlines we wanted to cover for this week. Let's move on now to some questions we've received at our Twitter account, at Keeping Carlson. If you're not following us on Twitter, you're missing lots of tweets with updates of players that we're finding interesting. Also, we're answering people's questions all throughout the week. Let's start with a question from at MattGun18, who asked, With all the vets in New Jersey, who would you see are the three best to own this year? And... Before Brian jumps in, I will mention New Jersey has been pretty great for their first two games where they scored six and five goals respectively against the Flyers and the Panthers. So there's lots of offense coming out of New Jersey to start the season. Brian, which are the guys that you'd want to have? Mike Camilleri, Yammer Yager, and Patrick Eliash are the three guys who you don't really have to think too hard about on the Devils. Yeah, they're all kind of forgotten by playing there. And Camilleri playing for Calgary last year, I think, was even a little bit forgotten over there. But you can rely on them. All their points per 60 rates are quite good, especially in relation to most of the league. Two of those are in the top 100. Eliash is, is just outside the top 100 for players who played more than 500 minutes last season. The other guys to consider are probably Michael Ryder, Adam Henrique, Martin Havlat, and Ryan Klo. I wouldn't really be rushing to add any of those guys to my roster. I think... Well, at least three out of four are probably in decline. Havlat, I've been waiting for a resurgence for several years. And if it didn't happen in San Jose, uh, I don't know. I guess it's not to say it's not going to happen in New Jersey. But again, a wait and see for him. Michael Ryder is that guy you pick up if all your players get injured, I think, in most leagues. And Adam Henrique is interesting, right? He had that really promising start, but he was seeing some favorable usage during that time and some favorable percentages. This time around, I'm not sure he's going to have those. He didn't exactly have them last year. We can cross our fingers and hope. Don't ever expect him to hit that ceiling that he did in his rookie year. And even as a depth ad, I think he's kind of suspect. He's still mostly a waiver wire free agent guy for now. Well, that's a pretty good rundown of the New Jersey forwards. And I think maybe even more interesting are the people on the New Jersey defense. They have these guys like Zidlitschke and Andy Green, who sort of seem to reliably put up 30 to 40 points every season. Maybe Andy Green is more recently doing that, but I think he's good for that this year. There's also this guy, Eric Jelena, who just kind of started last year. I think he's still considered a rookie for this year. He got two assists yesterday against Florida, and he was pretty hot at the end of last season. Do you think Eric Jelena is someone that people should add if he's available? Well, actually, he played 60 games last year, so he is not coming into this year as a rookie. And during those 60 games... 
out of all defensemen last year who played more than 100 minutes with the man advantage, Eric Jelena led the league in points for 60 minutes ahead of Shea Weber and Mark Giordano in second and third place. Mind you, he did play fewer minutes than those two, so they had to spread their production out over more minutes, which probably indicates a little more faith in their abilities, at least from my end. However, it's still a promising sign, and he's off to a good start this year with a power play assist in his second game. Now, in terms of his regular strength numbers, they are sort of average. He kind of fits in in, you know, the low 80s in terms of ranking based on his numbers from last year. But as a power play producer so far, he tends to be elite. I'm interested to see if he can keep that up over the whole season. He's not a bad ad if you're looking to bolster your defensive depth. Okay, let's move on to our next question from at the Beat Lobster, who asked at Keeping Carlson, "Hey guys, big fan. Question: What is your take on starting stud goalies against tough competition, i.e., Lundqvist versus St. Louis?" So he's referring to on Thursday, the Rangers were playing St. Louis, and the question was, should you start Lundqvist even though he's playing a tough team? The answer, in hindsight, was to start Lundqvist because the Rangers won. But in general, Brian, what do you think about starting a good player? versus a tough team, versus maybe a worse goalie, but against an easier team. Yeah, Elon, we got burned on this ourselves. Elon and I co-manage a team on a Yahoo pool, and we decided to start Holtby and Schneider over Lundqvist playing the Blues. And that was a decision, yeah, that hurt us. Lundqvist got the win, and Holtby lost in a shootout. So what did we learn from that? Well, I think the first thing I should mention, just to excuse us a little bit, was the league doesn't count goals against or save percentage. So we were just looking straight up for the easiest win to get. But overall, elite goalies are elite for a reason. You drafted them high and they've earned their status because they have a record for beating the best teams in the league, or at least putting up really good numbers against them. That's why they're elite, and that's why they should probably be starting almost every opportunity you have, unless it's a real slam dunk, or you think it is. Because otherwise, you're looking at an average goalie against an average team, and the likelihood of something going very wrong in that game for you is probably higher than the likelihood of an elite goalie really messing up your numbers. Yeah, I'd say there are a couple of teams that maybe you need to be wary of playing, you know, the Pittsburgh Penguins of the world. But I think Lungfist against St. Louis was a good play, and we missed our chance to get a win from King Henrik. And that pretty much brings us to the end of our show. But before we leave you, Brian and I are each going to tell you a couple of players that we think you should be watching and potentially looking to add over the next week. So Brian, why don't you start it off? I'd like to begin with a draft day leftover. Brad Richards was taken, I think, in the later rounds in a lot of pools as kind of like a sneaky late round pick. Really under the radar after, you know, sort of coming to an unhappy end with the New York Rangers and joining an amazing team like the Chicago Blackhawks. There was some speculation that he would be playing on the second line with Patrick Kane, although he has been supplanted by Andrew Shaw in that role. He's seen about 14 and a half minutes in the two Chicago games. And interestingly enough, he had really good relative Corsi in the first game against Dallas, but really terrible relative Corsi numbers in the game against Buffalo. Nothing to read into yet until we see enough of a sample from which we can draw a trend, but I don't know if he's as great a pick at this point as he seemed to be a week ago at this time. So I think this is just a bit of a warning signal for anybody who does own Brad Richards to monitor the situation closely and take a look at how he's being used by the Blackhawks. Yeah, I actually remember in the pool that we did together, Brian, 
we were deciding between taking an injured Derek Stepan or Brad Richards with a certain pick. We ended up deciding on Stepan, and then Richards got taken next. And we're like, oh, we maybe should have taken Richards. Stepan probably wouldn't have been taken. But I think it was a good move. I'm really excited for Stepan to come back and start producing for us. But I guess we have to wait a few months for that to happen. Do you have another player you want to mention? I'll move on to the goaltender position now. Let's talk about Anton Kudobin just briefly. He was a really popular pick also in draft as somebody who is not quite a number one yet, but will be very soon, especially after the way Kim Ward played in the first game. And he had a rough outing himself, stopping just 27 of 31 shots against the Islanders for an 871 save percentage. Two of those goals were on the power play, and so his even strength numbers might not have been as bad. But I think it's important to remember for anybody who's counting on Kudobin to step in as their, say, number two fantasy goalie this year, is that he does play for Carolina. No matter how good he is, the Hurricanes are bad right now and getting worse with a recent injury to Eric Stahl now. And he's not somebody you want to be counting on as the season goes on. You can pat yourself on the back for being, you know, on top of things enough to to know that he might surpass Cam Ward for the number one position. But please temper your expectations and beware counting on him too much to get too many saves and contribute to too many of your numbers for the rest of the year. I think it's going to be a rocky season for Kudobin and the Carolina Hurricanes. Okay, and I have a couple of players I wanted to mention myself. One is Trevor Daly, defenseman on the Dallas Stars. It's looking like he might be at least equal with Alex Goligoski, if not even higher than him on the Dallas depth chart. Now there's no telling if that's going to continue for the rest of the season. But two games into the year, Trevor Daly has played 23 and 24 minutes. He's playing on the top power play. He's got a goal and an assist after two games. So I think if Trevor Daly is in your free agent list and you have a defenseman who you think isn't performing well or that doesn't look like he's his team's number one defenseman, I think that you might want to take a look at picking up Trevor Daly and we'll definitely be monitoring him over the next few games to see if he stays in this important role in Dallas. He was recently given the assistant captainship. I don't know if that's worth anything, but definitely shows that the team thinks of him as an important piece. Yes, Elon, and by monitoring, you of course mean messaging me on Gchat every three minutes during game nights about Trevor Daly. Well, yeah, and then seeing what Brian has to say about it. Come on, you all would do the same if you had his phone number. Nobody lie. The next player I want to mention, and this is going a little bit deeper, but someone to keep your eye on, Pat Maroon is currently taking that awesome spot on the first line in Anaheim with Ryan Getzlaff and Corey Perry. He's also on their top power play, and so far, two games in, he's got two assists, an assist in each game. Of course, that position tends to go to lots of people throughout the year. Last year, I remember we talked about guys like Kyle Palmieri, Jacob Silverberg. A bunch of people were getting their turn to play with Perry and Getzlaff, and if Maroon were to lose that position, his value would go down significantly. But for now, he's that guy. And monitoring Twitter, I just sort of searched for Pat Maroon to see what people are saying. And a lot of people were talking about how he's doing really well. I saw one too, like, he was the best player on the ice last night. I don't know how much stake to put in that, but it seems like he's a guy worth watching. And hey, James Myrtle, who's someone we follow at Keeping Carlson uh, at Myrtle, he tweeted on October 9th, why don't we hear more about Patrick Maroon? guy who fights and drives possession for a good team. And then he linked to some advanced stats showing that he has good Corsi and all those things that we like in a fantasy hockey player. So that's my sort of real 
under-the-radar sleeper pick that you guys should take a look at. Yeah, Patrick Maroon had the best relative Corsi numbers on Ducks last year at even strength, and is definitely somebody to at least have on your watch list another Duck who was really strong in relative Corsi at even strength last year and is carrying over to this year is Sammy Vatanen playing defense for the Ducks and also quarterbacking their first power play unit. In his rookie campaign last year, he had 21 points in 48 games played, which is pretty awesome for a defenseman. And this year, he's already got two assists in two games played, both coming on the power play. I think he's gone in most leagues, but if he is available still, I would highly recommend he is probably better than your fourth defenseman right now. Okay, so really quick, last question of the day for you, Brian. Daly or Vatanen, who would you take? I'm going to go with Vatanen just because I think Daly is more likely to get pushed out a little bit by Goldogoski, although that's not what we're seeing so far. I think Vatanen definitely has the reins for the Anaheim power play. And both power plays are actually very talented. I don't think you can go wrong. I'd have a little more excitement personally cheering for Vatanen, though, so I'd pick him. I know you'd take him just because he was your guy in this little final segment that we did. I tried really hard to justify it with real facts, but it's really, yeah, because it was my idea to talk about him in the first place. And that brings us to the end of our first regular season episode of Keeping Carlson for the 2014-15 NHL season. I hope that everyone listening has enjoyed this episode, and I hope that you've gotten some value and learned some things about players you want to add and drop or deal with. If you like the show, do us a favor Give us a five-star review on iTunes. It really helps the show, helps people find us, increases our ranking when people search for fantasy hockey or hockey podcasts. Also, you could follow us on Twitter, at Keeping Carlson. Like I mentioned before, we're very active on there. Brian's giving advice all the time and responding to your tweets. And Elon, speaking of things you can do on the internet, you can also go to KeepingCarlson.com. I just updated the sidebar with a whole bunch of new stat sites. And these are the resources that we're learning to use and using to research the show in the wake of the loss of extra skaters. So if you yourself are looking for a way to dig into advanced statistics and find out a few extra numbers about players you're trying to make decisions on, go to keepingcarlson.com and check out the links in the sidebar under the heading statistical resources. And speaking of those resources, Brian, why don't we cue that outro music? And go ahead and read us the credits. Okay, a quick thanks to Andre Texera, who asked us on Twitter about Dupuy, but we didn't credit earlier. Also, thank you to Daily Faceoff, Left Wing Lock, Behind the Net, Hockey Analysis, Hockey Reference, and Yahoo Sports and ESPN Fantasy Hockey for being the resources that we use to prepare the show. And once again, we thank you all for listening. We hope you're strapped in for the entire season, and we will catch you all with another podcast next week. Keep on keeping Carlson.